Champagne, so bubbly. Champagne, so lovely. Sparkling like pearls in the sea. One sip and you can feel your heart soaring. A trip, you'll never find one bit boring. Just like the bluest sky, by far the ultra high you are. So much in demand. That's what Kurt Vonnegut wrote about. Oh yeah, Champagne for Breakfast of Champions. Yeah, well... Yeah, he wrote that. Uh, he's doing a Coors ad. Oh. <laughs> he's working for the Coors company. And he's like, you know, I'm thinking people aren't drinking enough nowadays. And if they could get work something when they wake up, that'd be perfect. <laughs> so why not start your day with the champagne of beers? Coors. <laughs> Isn't High Life the champagne of beers? I don't know. Probably. <laughs> uh, we don't have any beer, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. We've been recording brownless lately. No wonder the podcast is falling apart. Yeah. I don't know. All the episodes have been longer. Since I'm not like over here like wanting to take a little nap. <laughs> Unlike some various fever dreams you've had recently. Yeah. Yeah. My beautiful dreams are... Uh, all but wasted. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I just wanted to sound poetic. No, I texted boss about my dream the other night where we were recording the podcast and I kept falling asleep while he was talking. And then I would wake up and he would still just be kind of talking about pornography. <laughs> and I would try to make some sort of point, but inevitably I would just go back to sleep. <laughs> I think to counter that, you need to try really hard this episode. I am. I've started us off with a new ad campaign. Oh, yeah. Which is just what this movie's about, too, kind of. It is. It is about ad campaigns, sort yeah. of. It's like Mad Men. It is sort of a Mad Men. Mad, mad Men. It's a Mad Men story. It's a, it's a tale of two Mad Men. Yes. Jeremy and Boss at the Raincoat Report. Yes. Which, that's not this week's film, but hello. Hello. And uh, this week's film is... Champagne for breakfast. Oh, it is, isn't it? Well, I haven't had any champagne for breakfast in a while. And we don't have any champagne now. No. Uh, maybe next week we can brown out. Or the week after. We'll figure it out. Our yearly countdown episode is coming up soon. Certainly, that will be an occasion worth celebrating. Yes, it will. And perhaps we will have breakfast champagne or... Yeah, I'll spend the night, and we'll just record when I wake up. Yes. You can wear your uh, pajamas from Don't Scream, or whatever don't it's called. Don't Panic. Don't Panic, yeah. I don't want to panic. And I don't have to, because boss is in control. Yes, so even when you fall asleep, I'll keep everything going. That's kind of what was nice about it. I felt <laughs> bad, but also I was like, he's got it. He's handling it. I was like, as far as anyone listening knows... uh, I'm asleep whenever I'm not talking anyway. Yeah, I guess that's true. Unless they hear me shuffling or coughing. <laughs> uh, that's what I assume most of the time anyway. Yeah, anytime... Anytime you're, you're at my house and we're not podcasting, you're usually asleep or shuffling or coughing. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, it's not the house isn't haunted. It's just me. <laughs> so uh, this film that we're talking about today, Champagne for Breakfast, is a uh, starring vehicle for Leslie Bovee, who uh, we've seen in a couple films before, uh, but never in a starring role. Um, it is directed by Chris Warfield, who I know we've seen something of his at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is written by John Hayes, who uh, wrote a lot of, or wrote and directed a bunch of uh, exploitation films over the years. Um, one of the exploitation films of his that I've seen is The Hang Up. Um, but in addition to that, our raincoat audience will recognize him as the director of Hot Lunch. We covered that, right? We did cover Hot Lunch, and okay. um, I'd forgotten he directed that, but uh, that makes a lot of my opinions on this film make a little bit more sense. <laughs> okay. Um, Brings them into focus. Uh, he also directed Baby Rosemary. We haven't seen that yet. We have not covered that we one. We haven't. We've thought about it, but we haven't. Yeah, years ago, I thought about it once, and kind of it's been put by the wayside. Yeah. Uh, well, you want to talk about it now? Uh, I guess we should talk about... Baby Rosemary? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I guess we can talk about the one we watched instead. Okay, yeah, we probably should. If we're going to make up a movie, we need Tyler in the third seat, really. Yeah, he he has that extra juice to get us over the finish line. Yeah, if we were just bullshitting, um, it would break down between us inevitably. I mean, uh, I saw Baby Rosemary several years ago, but I would have to make up most of the details because I don't remember. There are a few things I remember, but not enough things. Um, Anton LaVey in it? He is not. That's a bummer. You think he would have appeared in more pornographic films? You would think. Uh, To my knowledge, he's not in any. I don't think so. No, he'd already had his foot in Hollywood. He was working with Polanski, so I guess he didn't need to go slumming. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. Um, I do know one thing. Boss is going to tell you about the cast. Yeah, so... Yeah, uh, in in addition to our uh, leading role going to uh, Leslie Bovee, we've also got a uh, cast of characters including Bonnie Holiday, Candy Barber, Dorothy LeMay, uh, Kay Parker, mm-hmm. Candida Royale, yep. Sharon Kane, uh, and a bunch of gentlemen including... But not limited to John Leslie, yeah. Ken, St- Ken Scudder. Yeah, John Leslie here in our uh, co-starring role, yes, I guess. Yes, he, uh, yeah. he is our, uh, yeah, our co-star. Our male lead, I'd say. Yeah. If they were giving out Oscars, he would be best male co-star. Yes. <laughs> yeah. We got uh, Blair Harris here. John Martin shows up. Uh, but... Uh, and we have David Morris and John Seaman. And then we have Paul Thomas in a non-sex role. We have Paul Thomas in a very short but significant guest appearance. Yes. he uh, He's not on screen for very long, but he certainly steals the scene. Yeah, he has a commanding presence. Yes. Perverted porno zones. A real talent on display. He really he puts on a master class for the 30 seconds he's on screen. Yes. Um, but we'll get to that. 
Um, but yeah, champagne for breakfast. This was something that uh, a listener suggested, right? Right, yes. And uh, he suggested it at just the right time because we had no other plans. And then I got uh, sick and we had to halt a week or so. So, uh, you know, it just goes to show if I'm lazy enough and if you reach out, we might do the film you suggest. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, this one had a DVD release from Vinegar Syndrome, and I bought it a while back, but we had not watched it yet, and uh, now that we have, I'm glad we did. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll talk a bit more about it as we get uh, through the movie. Yeah, but I would say, you know, off the top, this was a good suggestion, and uh, I think one I had maybe seen a trailer for and thought about doing, but mm-hmm. we just hadn't got to it yet, but like you said, I'm glad we did. Yes, it has... A uh, an amusing concept that uh, would not play today. <laughs> no, it's a perfect '80s film. But uh, it's a uh, it's a delight. Yeah, then that's um, that's all we'll say about that for now. What I want to talk about, boss, is uh, you've given me this bread. No, that's my bread. It was in my spot when I got here. What kind of bread is it? Let me see. It's uh, honey oat. Wide pan bread. This is the nice stuff. Are you using the Patreon money to buy this nice bread? Uh, yes. When our patrons sign up at patreon.com slash raincoat report for just $5 a month for early access to episodes, ad-free if we ever run ads again, uh, episodes. I ran and, a Coors ad at the beginning of the show. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm not cutting that out for Patreon. Sorry, guys. Uh, <laughs> and uh, two bonus episodes every month. Yes delightful deep dives into the uh world of modern and online pornography yes and uh this friday is no exception we are returning to a distant planet yes uh a sequel set actually 10 years in the past from the real length of the sequel if we want to go in a a chronological time point maybe you'll figure out what i'm talking about maybe you'll wait till friday until then i'm gonna have my share of the bread. No, your share of the bread is none of the bread. I'm opening it. Damn it. That's what I get for buying bread with Patreon money. Yeah. If you just bought it with your money, it would just be your bread. But since I see on here, it says on the receipt that you used Patreon <laughs> to buy it. Use Bitcoin to buy this bread? <laughs> is that what Patreon money is? Is it all crypto? No, thankfully okay. not. All right. Well, I really want some bread now. I'm going to go to the store. Give me the Bitcoin credit card. I'm going to the store. That's not how Bitcoin works at all. And uh, we're going to be back soon. Uh, Yeah, we'll be back to talk a little bit more about champagne for breakfast. Mm-hmm. Today, all too often, bread isn't good or natural. No. They make it, um, you see the movie The Stuff? Yes. Well, they don't make it out of that. (laughs) Uh, They still use the traditional ingredients for bread, such as 
wheat and uh, chaff, I think, goes into it. I think that's what's on top of your bread. I'll take your word for it. It looks like chaff. I just take their word for the fact that it's bread. Well, you know, you got wheats, you got grains, um, yeast is involved. Yes. Many of the same things that go to making bread inevitably go into making champagne. Beer? The champagne of beers, of course. <laughs> I can't wait for the cease and desist from Miller. They <laughs> aren't listening. You, well, you got a point there. Uh, well, speaking of uh, delightful beverages uh, like Coors. Uh, this is Canada Dry. Oh, yeah. That's the champagne of ginger ale. You know, it sure it surely is. <laughs> uh, champagne for breakfast, however, opens with a shot of champagne. Again, Leslie Bovey's character. She's doing her makeup overlaid on shots of the San Francisco streets and uh, other establishing shots as we get our credits. Set to the champagne theme song in true Tony Bennett fashion. Yeah, it's very much like a Tony Bennett uh, croon, and uh, I love it. Yes, it's delightful. Again, uh, a golden age adult film with its own theme song. We cut to an audience clapping, and Champagne is congratulated on a good commercial. The group adjourns to the conference room for a meeting, and we see everybody making a trek to the room. Champagne again is congratulated on a job well done, and they confirm that the commercial will air in six weeks. We're told that the Witten Cosmetic Company has a new vice president in charge of merchandising, and it's Champagne. Excellent. That's good, because they've already put her name on this room. Yes. (laughs) What's that about? (laughs) That they're in the Champagne room? Yeah. And, uh, it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a dusty old office with a chandelier. Yes. This is not high class at all. <laughs> so everybody applauds the promotion and the boss dismisses the meeting. Everyone leaves the room except for Champagne and one other woman, Peggy, played by Bonnie Holiday. Peggy congratulates Champagne and asks how she feels. Champagne notes that she's on top of the world, but a bit tired. Peggy tells her that she's a vice president because she's the boss's daughter, but adds that she does do her job. Peggy also adds that being vice president comes with power. She says men have been using their power for sex for years, but now women can do the same. So then Peggy calls Eric into the room, Eric being played by Ken Scudder. Peggy introduces Eric to Champagne, Eric apparently works for a chemical company that's trying to secure a contract with the uh, Witten Cosmetic Company. Peggy asks how much he wants it. Are they going to make rubbing his crotch? Are they making Joker makeup over there? Uh, yes. They just have those big vats. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, I think that after he uh, leaves screen for the film, Eric falls into a vat and becomes the Joker. I could see that happening. His origin here is kind of tragic. (laughs) (laughs) Eric seems a bit bothered by Peggy uh, harassing him sexually. 
and uh, Champagne is shocked. But Peggy continues, noting that she's not sure if he wants the contract or if he just wants her. So Peggy pulls out Eric's cock as Eric sighs and says, Come on, Peggy. Peggy bends over in front of Eric and he slides his cock inside of her. Peggy tells Champagne that this is what being a vice president is like, and that people will treat you differently and treat you with respect. You can get what you want. Champagne gets up and walks out in disgust as Eric slowly fucks Peggy, who tells him to do it just like the last time. We see Champagne return to her office and stare out the window before cutting back to Peggy, now down to her stockings and garters getting fucked doggy style on the meeting table. We then see Eric going down on Peggy. He asks if she can sign the contract, and she says that she thinks he can make her come again, and tells him to get on top of her. Eric mounts her missionary for a moment before she asks him to put it in her mouth. Eric straddles her chest, and she sucks his cock a bit more. Uh, Then he lays down on the table, and she continues to suck and stroke his cock. Peggy eventually finishes Eric off, licking and stroking his cock a bit more. We then cut to the city streets and we see John Leslie on the prowl. Yeah, he's hustling. Uh, This is Harry, who we watch walk into a bar. Harry Davenport. Yes. Apparently, Harry was sent by a temp agency to be a bouncer for this place for $350 a week. As Harry's chatting with the bartender... A woman walks in and sits down, smoking a cigarette in one of those fancy cigarette holders. And it should be noted, Harry Davenport, if that sounds familiar, was a an actor. Oh, yeah? Of the, uh, I guess, the regular golden age of film. He was in Gone with the Wind and some other oh. stuff. But he was born, like, right after the Civil War, so I'm sure he was mostly in plays and things that have been lost to time. Okay, that makes sense, yeah. Yeah, but the name had struck me as familiar, and uh, I did a little research just now. Excellent. Yeah. Um, Harry Davenport. We hardly knew ye. Um, hold on. I'm going to commemorate him. <laughs> he's haunting... He's haunting... The, the, he's a phantom of the opera now. Oh, okay. I get it. Yeah. He's just a ghost of himself. The woman introduces herself as the manager and asks if Harry smokes. He tells her he doesn't, adding that he stays away from sugar and white bread, and he takes a lot of vitamins, eats bran and yogurt. He was a boxing champion in the Navy. She tells him again that it's uh, $350 a week. Uh, Harry introduces himself as Harry, and the woman gives him her name, Cherie. This is uh, Candy Barber playing this role. Harry puts his arm on her chair and asks what she's doing for the next three days, adding that she's knocked out a boxing champion. She puts her hand on his crotch, and he suggests that they can meet up after this. As Cherie is throwing herself at Harry, a woman walks out, which startles Harry and makes him stop for a second. Cherie says that's just Fantasia working on her new act, Fantasia being Dorothy LeMay. We see Fantasia take the stage and practice her new dancing routine. Harry asks Cherie if she does stuff like that, and she tells him no. He offers to take her away from this place, as if he has anything to offer her, because clearly she 
is yeah. uh, well off and he is not. Yeah, he she's the manager of this place. She knows what it's like. He's begging her for a job. Yeah. Um, this is a weird way to do an interview. I think he's taken a couple hits to the head. <laughs> so the men's boxing champ. Yeah. Cherie leads Harry into another room and it's uh, Cherie's fancy swinger pad within the bar. This has a circular bed with a zebra print and an aquarium with weird uh, zebra border along the edges. Cherie lays back on the bed and tells Harry to take his pants off. He does, and she tells him she's ready for him. And he scrambles to join her in bed. Harry gets on top of her and they make out a bit before she tells him to get the champagne. He scrambles to get the champagne. Of course. <laughs> Champagne of beers. Uh, Harry Davenport's grandson is Arthur Rankin Jr. of Rankin and Bass. Oh, the uh, the makers of such fine films as The Hobbit. Yes, and uh, Rudolph. But because uh, that's not neither here nor there. <laughs> I just discovered that in my researches, and uh, I've been waiting to say it for a while. Wonderful. I took my yeah. I don't know, you know, I just I keep up over here. <laughs> so yeah, uh, he scrambles to get the champagne and they have a quick drink before Cherie begins to go down on Harry. And then Harry goes down on Cherie. Cherie shrieks in delight as he's going down on her and we cut back to the bartender who can apparently hear all of this. Harry starts to fuck Cherie missionary a bit before picking her up and sitting her on his lap, where they fuck sitting up face-to-face a bit, before Harry falls back and they bang hard with Cherie on top for a bit. We get a cutaway to Fantasia on on stage, before cutting back to Harry fucking Cherie doggy-style a bit. There are a lot of cutaways to the other characters in the bar during this scene. I guess they're all just kind of listening in and just thinking, what a place this is to work. (laughs) Harry lays back down and Cherie goes back to sucking his cock. As this is going on, we see Fantasia peeking through the doorway. Cherie motions for Fantasia to come in and, unknown to Harry, Fantasia takes over sucking Harry's cock mid-session. Cherie climbs towards Harry's face and kisses him a bit before Harry realizes there's two heads here. He's seemingly insulted by this. Cherie tells him to wait and asks him, You want the job, right? Harry yells at them for being lesbians and disgusting and storms out. Yeah, a very strange reaction for a man who just came in off the street and just started banging the stranger. Yes. Um, Especially to actions that aren't even really, uh, I would say, sapphic in nature. No, uh, this was what many people would be delighted by. Not Harry. No. He has a thing about perverts. Yeah, he doesn't care for them. We see Harry back on the streets and then walking into an office where Gladys Whitmore is on the phone talking to someone. Mm -hmm. This being Kay Parker. She mentions some job for $400 a week and tells the person on the other end that she'll think about it. After hanging up, Gladys asks what's wrong with Harry. He says that she sent him to see sex perverts. <laughs> he tells her one woman got him all worked up, and then her other pervert friend showed up. And now he has the worst case of the Stonies. Gladys asks what the Stonies are, 
and he elaborates, blue balls. I'm going to start calling them that. I don't even really necessarily believe in the blue balls, but... You don't mm. believe in the blue balls? No. Have you never experienced blue balls? No, my balls are always relieved. I'm sorry. Well, if you were a true goon, you'd know all about <laughs> blue balls. No, because the goon would just keep at it. Well, the, the goon might go hours on end without coming. Yeah, but he's not like... He can come anytime he wants. He's in control. Yes. It, it, when you have blue balls, you're not in control. Blue balls will sneak up on you if you have a long masturbation session and don't finish. I got a case of the Stonies. <laughs> oh, I got a bad. I got a bad doc. I'm gonna go to my doctor and <laughs> tell her I have the Stonies. I need a recom. I need a referral to a urologist for my Stonies. <laughs> Gladys notes every afternoon at 3 o'clock exactly, she gets all horny. She says those big trucks with their big black tires drive by, and it gets her all bothered. And the trees, they're the worst part. She tells Harry to come over and give it to her on the desk, but Harry says she's crazy. She she's just, just another pervert. She is just another pervert. She could turn her desk around, though, and not see that all the time. Yeah. So she truly is depraved. Harry then tells her to give him that $400 a week job. She tells him he doesn't have the experience, but that doesn't stop him from laying Gladys back on her desk and pulling her legs up and pulling her dress back. Gladys unbuttons his jeans and starts to peel her top off as Harry pushes his cock inside her and starts to fuck her. Gladys is knocking things off the desk as he pounds away and sucks on her nipples. Gladys tells him, on my tits, Harry. And Harry pulls out and strokes his cock, coming on her tits as she requested. Is she doing kind of a British accent here, or was I just mishearing her? Yeah. Okay. She keeps saying, like, me and, like, wank and stuff. Just yeah. to go kind of a strange half dialect. Yeah. I guess she always sort of does. She always says, like, what do I call it, transatlantic accent. She's just tossing a little more cockney into it now, or something. Yeah, she know. was born in the uk that's not right yeah then she can't be america's milf are you gonna take that away from her in death she was born in birmingham england in 1944 alabama and had dual citizenship israel american <laughs> she was born in alabama i don't know i don't fucking know but she died recently. You didn't know that, and I did. Yes. And um, It's possible that you told me, and it's possible you even told me on the podcast, and I just didn't remember. It's fine. This stuff, it's all one ear and out the other, you know? It's, it's a hard life we live. Yeah. We're trapped in a pornographic loop. <laughs> <laughs> no one will set us free. In the stag film of the imagination. <laughs> Gladys tells Harry that that was wonderful, noting it's only 3.05 now and suggesting that he should come by and do this every day. Harry tells Gladys he wants that $400 job. Gladys tells him they've turned down several of her best guys. Harry's response is to suggest that they must want a gay man for the job, although uh, he uses uh, slurs to uh, express this idea. Weird Al, when he covered... Money for nothing. 
as uh, Beverly Hillbillies, uh-huh. he cleverly changed the slur to the word clamp it. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's beautiful. I just wanted to shout him out. Thanks, Weird Al. Thanks. Keep it weird, buddy. <laughs> uh, we're friends. Uh, but this... We go to the same church. <laughs> um, this line here gets a freeze frame in the sound of a horn, I guess to emphasize a joke. Yeah, well, that's the kind of joke you could tell in 1980. Yeah. Do I have a horn? Yeah, just like that. Good enough. Um, We cut to Peggy pouring some tea and talking to Champagne. Peggy mentions Champagne's vacation idea is great. She tells Champagne she has it all, noting that she just needs to work on her attitude. Champagne asks Peggy if she got the contract signed, and she tells her yes a little bit after 4 a.m. Champagne tells Peggy she shouldn't have humiliated Eric like that, but Peggy says it gives him an opportunity to show off. I guess that's a way to put it. We hear a buzz, and Peggy tells someone on the phone to send him in. Peggy adds, it'll be nice for Champagne to get two weeks of fresh air, as she's walking out the door, and Harry walks in. Champagne tells Harry to sit down, And uh, it's here where we get the uh, gist of the uh, ploy here. Yeah, he's doing a Jack Tripper. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know you weren't a big Nick and Knight guy, but yeah. Three's Company, classic. Yeah. And just all those tits. So, yeah, Harry is doing a... And Don uh, Knotts. Funny guy. Don Knotts on Three's Company? Later in the show, they replaced the Ropers, who were the original landlords, with Don Knotts, who's oh, Mr. Okay. Furley. And he's, uh, they keep pretending he's gay, but Mr. Furley is pretty stupid. So it, it doesn't really, it, uh, you know, he was going to be confused anyway. Uh, they didn't have to try so hard, but they <laughs> Fair did. Enough. Um, just like John Wesley. So Harry's clearly doing a gay act, uh, explaining that he was in the Navy before. Um, and before that, he worked with his brother, who was too gorgeous to be straight. And before that, he graduated junior college and high school. Champagne notes this is a security position, and Harry says that Mother spent thousands on his ballet lessons, and he always thought that that was kind of like boxing. He loved contact sports. He pauses and adds, So I took boxing, and I decked them all. North Atlantic champion. Champagne says that she's taking an extended vacation and she needs someone who can keep an eye on her, get her up in the morning, lead her to bed at night, and leave her alone after she goes to bed. For that, it'll be $400 a week plus room and board. Harry says, sounds peachy, and stands up. Champagne asks if he gives massages and he tells her, of course. Do bodyguards normally give massages? Uh... Never yes. had one, so I, I wouldn't know. I, I have to assume yes. Have you ever had a bodyguard? No, I've never had a massage either. Wow. What if we got you one for your birthday? A bodyguard or a massage? A bodyguard slash masseuse. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, he'll follow you around all day and <laughs> give you the rub down. <laughs> you make sure no one takes a shot at you when you're enjoying your birthday dinner at El Nepal. Excellent. So we cut to Harry 
and he's on the phone trying to reach Mr. Swanson, but he's told that he's out on vacation and will be back on Monday. Harry leaves a message with uh, the other party and hangs up. We cut to Champagne being driven around by Harry. She's going to a bar and notes that it's a sophisticated place and there's no danger, but Harry notes his job is to look out for danger, and he gives her a walkie-talkie. He tells her he won't be any more than a block and a half away, and they test out the walkie-talkie, which makes Champagne smile. We cut to Champagne, who apparently has gone home with a guy from the bar, back to his apartment. This is John, played by Blair Harris. John puts on some music and dances outside with Champagne. This is the music of the gods, he says, as some weird New Age shit plays. And you are my goddess. Oh. He's a, like a spiritual guy. I guess. He's a douchebag, that's what he is for <laughs> sure. We get a brief shot of Harry sitting in his car before we watch John and Champagne retire to his bedroom. John hands her these Chinese silk, as he describes them, uh, like a pajama top for her to put on. We see Harry listening to all of this on the walkie-talkie and snickering. Champagne redresses in that pajama top in the bathroom and turns off the walkie-talkie before returning to the bedroom and beginning to make out with John. John says, The world is my cock. Its might is yours. No, I think he says in tonight it's yours, but I like yours better. That might be what it was. It was, it was hard to make out. The world is his cock. That. It, it is. That's for sure. <laughs> That's a gooner phrase. That's a gooner statement <laughs> yes. for sure. Um, and its might is yours. I like it. The world is my cock, and its might is yours. Yes. <laughs> I'm going with that. Uh, so they make out, and John begins to kiss his way down Champagne's body, unbuttoning the pajama top as he does. Uh he picks her up, throws the pajamas aside, and lays her back down on the waterbed and begins to go down on her. Why did he bother having her redress? Just, you know, just to, um, adds to the mystique. She's in the Chinese silk. I guess so. He's got a whole thing going on. This character could use some more in-depth study, but we don't spend much time with him. Yeah, unfortunately, maybe there was a spinoff with him. He's kind of like a Paul Thomas character without the brown face. <laughs> Uh, so John starts to fuck Champagne doggy style a bit, and they shift, and Champagne gets on top of John, kissing, uh, before mounting him in cowgirl. John then begins to fuck her missionary a bit as Champagne plays with her clit. He seemingly eventually finishes inside her and they kiss. We see them roll over, revealing the mess they left on the sheets. That's quite a spot. We cut to John and Champagne in bed. John says... It was indescribable. Champagne says, I was good, wasn't I? John asks if he'll see her at the bar again, and she says she's not sure. She says she'll freshen up real quick and leave. He offers to call her a cab, and she declines. We then cut to daytime, and Harry standing on a porch, sniffing some oils. Champagne steps outside and throws off her gown, revealing her nude body before laying down on a massage table. She tells Harry it's time to see how good he is. Harry tells her he hasn't massaged a woman before, adding that in the Navy, 
They massaged each other on the boxing team. I believe that. I don't think he made that up for his gay thing. That, that's quite possible. They're in there cutting it up, chopping it up, doing the... Yep. Stroking the old hamstrings, you know? Yeah. Gilding the lily. Right on the lily. And gilded it. It was so nice they... Massaged it twice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, Champagne tells Harry she likes it deep, and he starts to rub her back and tells her that she has a really strong back. Harry then says, It's none of my business, but you know you don't have to pick up men at bars. Champagne tells him he's right. It's none of his business. Harry continues to rub her shoulders, and she talks about how she's been so focused on her career and her success that she's neglected herself. She says that's why they're going to another bar tonight. We cut to night and see Champagne walking into a big smoky bar. A man's getting cigarettes from a vending machine, which used to be a thing. Mm -hmm. Champagne scans the room and decides to approach the man who bought the cigarettes, offering to buy him a drink. He declines, and she asks if she offended him, and he tells her no. Champagne tells him she's an independent woman with money of her own, and there's nothing wrong with her buying a man a drink. The guy tells her, she's pretty, and maybe he's out of step with the times, but he likes to buy his own drinks, make his own approaches, and lead when he's dancing. He asks if she understands, and she tells him she does, and she storms off. There's a guy who looks like Willem Dafoe playing the piano. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's got a thin little mustache and a wide, (laughs) wide grin. Yes. Champagne enters another room, sitting down next to Candida Royale as she's fixing her makeup. She sighs, oh, men. Candida looks up at Champagne and tells her, I'd like to eat the crotch out of your panties. Champagne immediately stands up and walks away, but pauses at the door and turns around. We then cut to Champagne and Candida at another location, undressing, staring at each other seductively. Champagne lays down in bed. She tells Candida she's never done this before and that she'll have to tell her what to do. Candida tells her she doesn't have to do anything. So she starts to go down on Champagne and Champagne begins to laugh. Candida asks what's wrong and Champagne tells her nothing. It's just her face is so smooth against her. Candida makes out with Champagne for a moment before kissing her way back down Champagne's body and beginning to go down on her again. This continues for a minute before Candida turns around a bit, putting her crotch near Champagne's face. Champagne looks at her for a moment before telling her she can't do it, apologizing. Candida turns and looks at her and says, it's alright, it is what it is. We then cut to daylight again, and Harry's giving Champagne another nude massage, this time a soapy one with a sponge, like a sponge bath. Harry asked if she found out if she's gay. Champagne tells her they don't have penises. Harry says they sometimes have balls, and they both laugh. (laughs) (laughs) Champagne asks Harry why he does this, asking if he wants to be someone. Harry tells her he is someone adding that he needs money so he can start a business. She asks what sort of business, and he tells her 
He doesn't know, but he knows it won't be with his brother-in-law. Harry asks what's next for them, and Champagne tells him that she doesn't know, but suggests they drive around. So we watch Harry driving Champagne around the San Francisco area a bit before stopping at a service station. A guy there offers them gas, but Harry tells him there's a problem with the tire. The guy at the station tells him he's the only one there and he's only the gas guy. Champagne gets out and gets a Coke while Harry takes the car around the corner. We cut to a man breaking up dirt and rocks with a shovel and a pick. He's distracted when he sees Champagne walking down the road. She heads right towards him. She stops in front of him and he asks what her name is. She introduces herself as Champagne. He says, I'm a beer man myself. Yeah, he's a big fat slob. He would be better served by Coors, the champagne of beers. He would be. He would be. But he has his own brand he prefers, as we'll see. The guy takes off walking and champagne follows him. So this is Tex, played by Milton Ingley. Mm -hmm. Or Michael Morrison, as he's also credited. Um, We cut to champagne joining Tex at his place. She declines his offer of a beer. We see Harry back at the service station looking around trying to figure out where Champagne took off to. Tex introduces Champagne to Fred, his penis. Champagne says hi to Fred, and Tex tells her that he and Fred have been together a long time. Champagne begins to suck Fred, and Tex tells her Fred likes it wet, and a lot of tongue. We see Harry at the dirt mound that Tex had been working at before, scratching his head and looking around. He asks the old lady nearby if he saw an attractive dark-haired lady come by. She tells him that she went with Tex, and Harry asks where Tex is. So we cut back to Tex, who picks up Champagne and holds her upside down as Champagne's laughing. He goes down on her a bit and begins to pour some beer on her vagina, which is probably not a good way to avoid yeast infection. No, that's how you get it, but he's enjoying Schlitz, which I've never had, but I've heard was not great. Um... But I'd like to try it. Yeah. Someone send me a (laughs) six-pack. They giggle and seem to be enjoying the standing 69. Uh, Would he have dropped her, she'd have been forever paralyzed. (laughs) We cut to Harry walking down the street looking at houses, and then we see Tex pick up champagne, and he begins to fuck her as he holds her up in the air. There's a poster on a door nearby of Raquel Welch in Kansas City Bomber, which Tex begins to fuck Champagne up against. Mm -hmm. As Tex is pounding her against the wall, Champagne tells him he's hurting her and to stop. She pushes him away and gets ready to leave, but Tex has other ideas and decides to grab a hold of her and force himself on her as she screams out. She cries out for help just as Harry gets to the door. Yeah, when he notices like the house that she, the noise is coming from, the house next door, I can't tell if it's a child or a little person, but they're on the step, just oh. kind of looking on. And it was just a very, it's one of those things, it's like a frame or two, but it, it stuck with me. <laughs> what were they doing there? I don't know, man. Just Maybe living, it's a ghost. Oh, shit. That's scary. I don't want to think about that. It's like the three men and a baby thing. Was the baby or, or the or the hanging munchkin in the Wizard of Oz? Oh yeah, that would be a baby and a little person. It could be either one of them if they filmed it at the same place. That's a good point. They filmed this on the same lot. Probably. There's ghosts everywhere you look. 
So Harry kicks open the door to Tex's place and spends a couple of minutes taking out Tex as Champagne watches kneeling behind a nearby table. Yeah, you don't get to see a bunch, a much of the pounding, but uh, you hear it, and it's cool because Tex is a big, fat, naked guy who just gets his ass kicked. Yeah, well, uh, of course, Harry was a boxing champion, so it's good we get to out. see some of that, you know. Yeah, just a little bit. Once Tex is out, Harry tells Champagne, "Please don't do that again." We cut to Champagne getting another nude massage. Champagne praises his healing hands. She tells Harry to massage between her thighs as she pushes her ass up in the air. He cries out, Oh my god, as he's looking at her ass. She asks what's wrong and he tells her, Uh, nothing, I just broke a nail. (laughs) Champagne tells Harry that she wishes sometimes that he was a woman. Then they could do all kinds of things together. Harry asks what kind of things she likes to do when she's with a man. She says sometimes she likes to shout out dirty words, like fuck suck and balls harry's sexual tension is boiling over as he barks at her asking if she likes to say things like ass or thigh (laughs) or cunt cunt that's the most beautiful of all what about hot load did you ever yell take my hot load her eyes shoot open and she says she's never said that as a musical cue plays (laughs) signifying her surprise at this We cut to Champagne and Harry in the car. Champagne tells Harry he must need a hot man of his own by now. He he needs some loads. Yeah, (laughs) a nice hot load. Yeah, a hot load and a hot lunch. He asks her how she can tell, and she tells him by the way he was breathing. Champagne tells him she'll get him a man, but Harry tells her that's not necessary. Champagne insists, and then tells Harry to drop her off here, to pick her up in a few hours. We see Champagne enter this place, introducing herself as Mrs. Jones. She's greeted by William Niles, who is uh, credited as Male Whorehouse Madam. (laughs) Uh, He shows Champagne around the room to multiple gentlemen. Uh, There's got to be a better word for that. Yeah. Uh, Including but not limited to Peter, played by John Martin, and Buck, played by Jonathan Younger. Uh, she examines and asks to, both of them to turn around, feeling their asses. She ultimately requests the madam himself, along with Peter and Buck, and the four run upstairs together. We cut back to Harry once again trying to give a call to Mr. Swanson, leaving another message for him. Back at the whorehouse, the guys are all surrounding Champagne and undressing her. Soon she's working all three of their cocks as she straddles Peter's face. We see some cunnilingus and some ass-eating from the boys. Then Champagne gets fucked by the gentleman in turn as she's sucking the other guys. None of the sex positions last for very long, but there's a constant rotation of cunnilingus penetration and blowjobs. She tells them to all come on her at once as she's riding Peter's cock. Buck and the madam are on either side of her, stroking their cocks. Buck comes on her face and chest. She keeps stroking the madam's cock, riding Peter as we freeze frame and then cut away. We then cut to Harry, stopping at a service station for the 99-cent special he found in the paper. That sounds nice. The lady who works there, Sharon Kane, the car wash girl as she's credited. That's less clunky than... uh 
male whorehouse madam. madam. Yeah, yeah. Well. Uh, but she suggests that he tries the super special instead and tells him to pull around. He pulls the car into uh, the lane of an automated car wash, and the car wash girl hops in the back seat and starts to take off her jumpsuit. She tells Harry no one will see them because of the suds and invites him in. So Harry jumps in and tells her that he's going to have to ride her like a horse. She tells him he better hurry, it's only a three-minute car wash. So we cut to Harry fucking the car wash girl doggy style in the back seat. After a minute of pounding her, he says he's going to come, and she strokes his load out, which gets all over the car seats. Yeah, it just blasts all over it. So in addition to needing this car wash, he's going to have to take it and get it detailed now, too. So they redress just in time for the car to pop out the other side. Another attendant hops into the driver's seat and drives the car out. Harry and the car wash girl get out of the car, and she asks him for $20. He tells her he thought the special was a dollar. She clarifies the special car wash was 99 cents. The special fuck was $20. Harry says the ad didn't say anything about that. As they're talking, the other car wash guys in the back seat cleaning and, and sees the down. mess that they left. Yeah. Back there wiping down the loads. She asks Harry if he thinks that she did all of that for a lousy 99 cents. Harry tells her it seemed pretty reasonable as he slams the car door shut. The other attendant says, I'm not cleaning that up, and Harry tells him that he'll take care of it as he drives off, and the car wash girl yells at him. We cut to Harry wiping down the car later, complaining that $20 for a three-minute fuck is unfair. Nothing's real anymore. No quality. No beauty. He's right. You know, it's all it's all rush, rush, rush nowadays. Champagne comes up behind him with a whole candelabra yeah, a in her hands. massive fucking candelabra. I don't know why. It seemed in danger of dripping wax all over the newly waxed car. Yeah, it's, it's threatening a bad time. Champagne tells Harry that he's been good to her. And there's a light on outside anyway. There is. <laughs> why does she have this giant-ass candelabra? I don't know. I think it was all presentation. Well, you know... Sometimes you try something like that, and it just raises more questions and uh, answers, at least to a man like me. <laughs> You're a man full of questions. Yeah, I've got a part of my brain is missing. Champagne tells Harry that he's been good to her, and she tells him now she wants to be good to him with a lusty look in her eyes. Champagne leads Harry upstairs, and they start to undress. They sit down on opposite sides of the bed and lean in as if to kiss. Just as Buck jumps out from under the covers and Champagne explains that this is the surprise she promised him. Are you mad? Harry tells Champagne, you shouldn't have. Buck says, my cock is all yours. Harry feigns crying, telling Champagne she's just too good to him. Harry feigns hyperventilating and asks if she has a paper bag. As Champagne leaves for a paper bag and the concerned Buck asks if Harry's going to be alright... Harry spins around and decks Buck with a punch. Yes. What a homophobic prick. Yeah, he's a real, uh, what the fuck, dude? Buck didn't do anything. So we cut to the day and Harry's driving Champagne again. Champagne says Buck told her that Harry hit him. Harry said his arm must have just started swinging and he lost control. She asks if his hyperventilation happens often. He tells her only once before in his life. 
Harry drops champagne off at the whorehouse again. She tells him that he can have most of the day off and just pick her up at 8.30 tonight. She tells him not to be overly concerned, but he tells her it's his job to be concerned. So we watch Harry take off, and then Champagne gets into a cab nearby. It's here that we cut to Mr. Swanson, played by John Seaman, who's talking to a client on the phone, apologizing for losing their money in the stock market. Great. (laughs) Harry walks in, and Mr. Swanson tells the person on the phone that he has a client he has to talk to. Mr. Swanson then tells Harry that he's glad to meet him in person. He tells Harry the company he's invested in is doing well, and Harry says that he's there to make his final payment for the investment as arranged, and then he wants to sell his stock. Mr. Swanson says that he's happy to take the payment, but he can't give Harry any stock or money. Harry discovers that while the company he's invested is worth one or two million at this point, the account is under control of Harry's brother-in-law. Yes, for some reason he signed over power of attorney to him, I guess, in uh, whatever previous unnamed vi- business venture they had. Yeah, they kind of reference that in a little bit, uh, but yeah, yeah it's, so kinda, it's a mess. Yeah, it kind of comes up like a little bit earlier in the film. He's just kind of obliquely complaining about his brother-in-law. Yeah, that guy sucks. So we cut to a man and woman are running around the track. And I didn't recognize the woman at first, but in fact, it's Champagne, who who is uh, not wearing her signature makeup. No. And, you know, doesn't have her hair made up the way she has. Um, But, you know, she's running a track, so I guess that makes sense. The guy here is David Morris. Uh, He tells Champagne that she's fast and asks if she's fast indoors as well. She tells him that she bets that she can beat him. We cut to Harry then talking to Stanley, played by Paul Thomas. Stanley explains that Harry signed away power of attorney on his account when Harry asked him to help him out of bankruptcy. Okay. Which Harry adds was Stanley's fault to begin with. And Stanley actually agrees to that. Or admits to it. Uh, Stanley says that Harry will get his money when Stanley dies. (laughs) Stanley says that Harry won't see his money for a long time. He steps into the street as he's gloating that his heart rate's down, he's eating healthy, he's going to live a long time, and Harry isn't slimy enough to do anything about it. Okay, he doesn't have the slime. Just then, a truck barreling down the road instantly ends Stanley as we hear screams. Yes, (laughs) that was a a master class in acting by the late Paul Thomas. Yes. Uh, so we cut to Champagne and David in a motel room. He's undressing and talking about how they paid a day rate and he has a piano lesson, so they need to be out by 4 p.m. Champagne hops in the shower and David's restless. He turns on the TV at first and then turns it off. He yells at her to hurry up, please. And after a minute, Champagne comes out, now in her full makeup, her hair down, and David's shocked by her appearance. Champagne tells him some things should never be rushed as she kisses him. Champagne works her way down David's body, kissing his chest and then sinking down to give him a blowjob. After a moment of this, David lays back on the bed and Champagne mounts him cowgirl, riding his cock a bit. They roll onto their sides and David continues to give it to her before rolling Champagne onto her back and pumping her missionary. 
They switch to doggy just as a crew member walks across the background. Yeah, you sent me a gif of that. It was delightful. Uh, David fucks Champagne doggy style a moment, then switches to missionary again. Champagne tells David to come on her chest, and moments later he pulls out and Champagne strokes his cock, getting the requested load on her breasts. They're in some kind of like love motel because he's like, stay away from the windows. No one's supposed to know anyone else is here. Yeah. So that's cool. It's like the one up the street from you. Yeah, the Louisville Manor. Yeah. <laughs> I do still think about working there sometimes. What a delight that would be. I feel like it would connect you to your type of people. I feel like I would be connected to um, a lot of things. <laughs> At least stuck to things. Yeah. We cut to David redressing. He asks what she's doing tomorrow night, and she tells him that she's leaving town. He's sad they'll never see each other again. He asks what he's supposed to do, and she tells him, remember. Then we cut to Harry, smiling and counting money. Apparently that thing paid out the second Stanley died. Yeah, that's all that was standing in the way. There's a knock at the door, and Harry answers it to find champagne in a weird sailor pajama set complete with a hat. She tells Harry that she couldn't sleep, and she tells him that she remembered that he said he liked sailors. She tells him that he can pretend that he met her in a park and took her home, and they can play all night. He sighs, and she asks if he needs a paper bag. He tells her no, but the thought of a young sailor coming to him at night is overwhelming. She leans in and caresses him, and Harry falls back. Champagne's bottomless, grinding against him, unbuttoning his top. She asks how it feels to be touched by a woman, and he tells her good. Champagne finishes undressing and straddles Harry's face, and he eats her out a bit. Champagne asks if he wants this sailor boy to suck him, and he tells her yes. So she does after he takes off his pajama pants. When she kept calling herself a sailor boy i was expecting her to have like a strap on or something on <laughs> yeah. this movie doesn't get that transgressive though harry mounts champagne missionary and starts to fuck her they shift to a sideways position and then we see champagne riding harry cowgirl this position continues for a bit and eventually champagne dismounts and strokes and sucks harry's cock finishing him off and making out with him we cut to Harry sitting in a chair next to Champagne's side of the bed as she's asleep. He tells her he has to tell her what he is, who he is. She doesn't respond. He asks if she's awake and she doesn't respond again. He says it's probably just as well and he just walks off. We then cut to the office. A woman's taking pictures off the wall and crying as Champagne's packing up her stuff. The boss is asking her if the reason she's leaving is a lack of money, and she tells him no. He's trying to make her some offer to keep her, and he's asking what the problem is, but she won't tell him. We then see Harry bringing back the uniform he had been wearing while working security, leaving it on the receptionist's desk, but the receptionist tells Harry to wait a minute. We then cut to Peggy walking into Champagne's office, giving her a hard time for leaving, just as Champagne's phone buzzes. Peggy asks why she's leaving, and Champagne tells her she guesses she just wasn't that ambitious after all. Peggy starts to make threats about her not being able to work in the industry ever again, 
but the boss tells her Champagne can write her own check to work at any cosmetic company in the country. Yeah, I think that's uh, supposed to be like Peggy's dad. That's the boss. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Jeremy just knocked over the soundboard. (laughs) Uh, Anyhow, uh, Champagne then meets Harry in the waiting area. She tells him he never said goodbye, and Harry says he's just there to return the suit and the leftover petty cash and receipts. Harry tells her so long and slowly starts to walk away before turning around. He says he tried to tell her this morning, but... And he stammers. He tells her, I'm, I'm just not... I'm not a... And she tells him, I know. And he says, you knew. She tells him, almost from the beginning... Yeah, he wasn't very good at it. He's shocked. You knew. And he stammers, you mean when you? And she nods her head. And last night when you? And she nods again. You? You, you gorgeous creature, you. You dirty. Ooh, <laughs> he gets all, he gets stomping mad. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I love you, he says. Aw. She tells him that she loves him and they laugh. And Harry tells her that now he owns 186 printing shops. All of a sudden, I'm a millionaire. She tells him that she thinks he might need some help with his advertising as they laugh. And then we fade to black before cutting to credits over shots of the streets and the beach set to our champagne song. (laughs) And uh, that was champagne for breakfast. Wow. I'm bubbly. Bubbly indeed. Much like a delicious frosted Coors. Yes. The mountain changes color to let you know it's cold. Did you know that? The champagne of beers of breakfast of champions. Coors. Yeah. Uh-huh. The, the, yeah, the mountains, they tell you it's cold. Yeah. And if they're not blue, then you put it in the fridge for longer. Yeah, just wait a little while. Or you just drink it anyway, because you're a member of the Raincoat Army and a little warm beer has never gotten you two down. That's fair. That's true. Ah, man, this was a this was quite a film. It was quite a film. And we'll give a little more of our thoughts after the break. So sit back and chill and we'll be right back to talk a little bit more about Champagne for Breakfast. So yeah, I've got boss sick, and we just now learned during our un- un- unscheduled pause that he has the cause of blue balls. <laughs> yes, I didn't know. I told my, you they were real. I didn't know that you were like they were building up in you, though. I didn't know that not believing was going to kill you. Well, now you have that to weigh on your conscience forever. Yeah, I guess I'll think about it while I do. The Raincoat Review. <laughs> this is a uh, 
fine film through and through. A true, true piece of pornography. Indeed. Uh, <laughs> uh, this was a, yeah, but it was a, it was a good film. I'm glad that uh, a listener suggested this one to us. Yeah. It was a, it was a pick that had a bit more meat on its bones than I expected it to. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a little bit more here, uh, narrative wise, and certainly in next week's film. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and certainly in this week's Patreon episode. Yes. But uh, yeah, it, it's interesting in that it sort of focuses on like a, uh, and this is fairly common, I think, as we go into the '80s, more on uh, the woman, the uh, more on the woman's desires in yeah. a way. Uh, this At one, least as we continue through the early 80s. Yeah. I feel like yeah. once we get later in the 80s, we get into... To back to the trash. Yeah. Yeah. But anyhow. A brief moment of enlightenment. Yes. Uh, so this kind of uh, fits into one of those where like the main character is sort of uh, an empowered woman. And I think it's it, interesting that uh, she does have to like confront her new power and decide whether or not that's something she likes or not. That's something that she wants in her life. Yeah. So she, she does have sort of a uh, a nice motivation through the film, and she's sort of trying to find that as she explores sex with all these different partners. I believe. Yeah, she learns that with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah, she didn't have Uncle Ben there to tell her that. No, she had to figure it out herself by fighting off Tex. She didn't really fight him off, though. Well. By having to watch <laughs> Harry fight off Tex. Yeah. And at the same time, you have uh, Harry's story as a, uh, I guess is just kind of like a failure of a person up until this point. Yeah. It's really coming from the, the other angle as Champagne, and they meet in the middle. In yeah. In a film that inspired Paul Simon's great song, uh, I'll be your bodyguard. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. And I know we've talked about that song before on the show, but this one, this is the, I should have saved it for now. It bears repeating. It does bear repeating much like the chorus. Bodyguard. You can call me Al. That's the chorus. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Baby, you can call me Al. I found out that uh, that album, but that's off of the Graceland album, is one that he broke the cultural boycott of uh, South African apartheid to record. Oh. So he had a bunch of like South African musicians and stuff on it. And I was like, oh, okay. That's an interesting thing to break the cultural boycott over so you can record that song. <laughs> <laughs> It's fine. It's not great. It's not as good as this movie, which I'm going to review. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, each character uh, kind of has their own growing pains and struggles they go through. Um, and at the end, they come together in a, a nice way that's pretty cute. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a, it's, a, it's a pretty satisfying tale overall. There's a lot of... Uh, comedy that probably wouldn't fly nowadays but uh yeah i think so it's we're kind of on the cusp of that it, it still works for me i'm like you know 
Tom Hanks could have been in this probably. Yeah, it it, it it feels enlightened for the time, despite all the homophobia. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's uh, and they did release an R-rated cut of this with the sex scenes removed. Oh, okay. I would be interested in seeing the differences between the two. Mm. Um, I'm wondering how much more of him pretending to be like fruity there is. Yeah, versus this, but um, it's not the old days anymore, so we didn't cover both. <laughs> uh we i would have just gotten over here if we'd done both yeah <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah there's good a good starring turn for leslie bovey john leslie is always uh one of the great talents uh a nice supporting cast i think really uh throughout and uh spearheaded by the great paul thomas in one of his uh, most delightful appearances. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is a great movie because it has a pornographic beatdown and a pornographic death scene. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I love when a film has either of those. Uh, much like the much-beloved Frankie and Johnny were lovers. And you mentioned at the beginning this is directed by Chris Warfield. Yes. Who also directed Hot Lunch. And that was a movie I was thinking of a lot through this. There are, I think, several parallels Okay. Um, it's a it's a fairly similar plot because in that movie you have uh it's not john leslie it's oh uh, his name escapes me right now but uh he's kind of a down on his luck guy trying to find his job and he ends up like in the service of a powerful woman john martin yes john martin okay yeah who's also in this film yes <laughs> <laughs> well you know but yes uh but uh yeah yeah this this film definitely reminded me of that this one seems i think a bit more fleshed out yeah for sure than that one um i could see how this could be made into like a proper film like with like just an r-rated cut yeah you could definitely turn this into like a romantic comedy i think it works well on that level or a sitcom or a sitcom yeah you know something silly is happening but uh the sex in it, though, is also very nice, uh, very well shot, uh, not perfectly edited as you see crew just wandering through the scenes, right. but uh, I think well executed for the most part. There's a variety of scenes, a variety of different uh, lovers as you join Champagne on her uh, quest for fulfillment, and uh, at the end, there's a happy little resolution, and uh, can't be mad at that. Yeah, I, I would give it four stars. All right. Yeah, uh, I w was uh, very impressed by this film as well. I thought that it was a lot of fun. There's some good humor in here. Uh, the premise is good. Um, if I had one criticism of the film, it's that this is one of the rare times that I've thought that the sex scenes were a bit too brief. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I feel like so many of the movies that we watch, the sex scenes overstay their welcome, but I think that like here they like, usually I will praise a film for like going through positions fairly quickly and, uh, you know, getting things done, but it felt like I wasn't, uh, they weren't, they weren't in the positions for long enough for me to get into them. That's fair. Yeah. But, uh, that's, that's a minor quibble, um, I mean, otherwise, I thought there was a lot of fun. You're always quibbling. I, you know. You're always finding fault. 
we're critics in a way, and critics gonna quibble. But I mean, I'm still also going to give this four stars. I thought it was great. Yeah, this is a fine, fine film. I would say definitely uh, check it out. Yeah, and uh, probably possibly a contender for uh, this year's top ten. Oh yeah, that's coming up here that in is, a few weeks. It's coming up in a few weeks. We've rounded another year, another journey around the sun with dick in hand. And I'm already I'm thinking back to the year. Okay, well I'm not going to talk about it. We'll just save that for that episode. The the world is my dick. Oh yeah, <laughs> and its might is yours. <laughs> so don't forget your raincoat. You are. The blue sky by far the perfect tie and so I'll just go on loving champagne you fill all my days with sunshine champagne you're finally mine you're finally mine you're finally